As we continue our study through Matthew, we're seeing some themes develop and sections. I always like to sort of organize in my mind, at least, uh, some of the divisions of what we've been doing. And, um, you know, we, we recently covered the big 10 miracles of Jesus that are kind of in one clump there in Matthew. But as we go into Matthew chapter 11, we kind of, um, we get to start sort of a new section of Matthew, if you would. In fact, um, the first 10 chapters, you can put in a category of its own. Um, and you can jot some of these things down if you wish in your notes. But in Matthew chapter one through 10, we might coin that the revelation of the king. The king revealed, Jesus has been revealed as the, the, the king that was supposed to come, the Messiah. Uh, and that was the revealing of the king. But now we're gonna kind of turn in chapters 11 through 13, we're gonna see the rejecting of the king, um, which is so troubling when you and I, we know that he's Jesus. Come on, you guys, hello, don't reject him. Uh, it's so hard to watch when you see these people who were right there despising and rejecting Jesus, just like the Old Testament prophets said would actually happen which is troubling uh, to say the least. But, but um, you know, it's like watching a movie when you know you guys are doing the wrong thing. Don't do that, you know? But that's what a lot of these uh, religious leaders are gonna do is they're gonna reject Jesus, the, the Messiah. And that really starts here in chapter 11 and carries on through chapter 13. Uh, so let's pick it up uh, here in Matthew. By the way, um, the disciples uh, were just sent out, if you remember, in chapter 10. Um, uh, you know, and he told them how to minister and what to do. Uh, we kind of covered that uh, recently. And then sort of springboards into chapter 11. It says in verse one, it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now this is interesting. In whose cities? Um, probably the there there is the disciples in the disciple city which is kind of interesting. Why would Jesus send them out and then go into the disciples' city uh, to, to teach and preach? Uh, and the answer might have something to do with what Jesus is gonna say uh, in our upcoming part of the study in Matthew chapter 13. You guys recall what Jesus said about this in Matthew 13, 57. He said, and when they were offended in him, uh, they were offended in him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, <clears throat> save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So it's almost like he said, disciples don't even go to your hometowns, uh, go out and, and preach, and then I'll go to your hometowns. Well, why doesn't Jesus preach in his hometown? Because a prophet is not without honor, uh, save in his own country, in his own house. Um, and there might be something to that as why he's kind of flipping these roles. So he's going to all their cities uh, and and, and what is he doing? He's uh, teaching and preaching. So um, by the way, I think that's still true today. Some of you, you know, may wanna try to share the gospel with people you love and know and grew up with. Um, but isn't it interesting? Sometimes the people you know the best are the hardest ones to minister to, whether it's your family or your high school buddies, uh, you know, or like people that you knew back in the day. And then now you're like, man, I'm a Christian. Like, no, you're not. No, really I am. No, you're not. And you call yourself a Christian. I know what you did when you were in high school. Um, and it's almost like because of that, you're already disqualified, you know? Um, and so it can be helpful in some ways, just because the stubbornness of humanity to go into a new area. And maybe that's what the Lord would, would have for some of you. Maybe you have been trying to minister to people closest to you, but but you feel like you're kind of beating them over the head with a Bible. 
which is never really the right way to do it anyway. But sometimes you kind of feel like, man, I've tried, but they're not listening. Well, that's where you have to kind of say, Lord, are you calling me to minister to somebody who actually will hear? Um, it's pretty funny because I got a little bit of this when I was a younger man. I grew up as a kid, very involved in the church that I was a part of. You know, I was doing all kinds of stuff, running sound, teaching Sunday school, hauling chairs, you know, and at, a, at the ripe old age of 17, I was hired on staff became the director of children's ministry all the way through down from the college down to the babies uh, by the time I was 19. So I was very involved, um, but it was kind of a funny thing. You know, um, when pastor would leave, he'd go off on a trip or something, they'd ask me to come and, uh, and fill in for him. Uh, and, uh, or he would, he'd ask me to, you know, would you teach Wednesday night Bible study for me? And, uh, and I, I can remember, like it was yesterday, I'd get up there and sit down and get ready to teach. And, and uh, half the congregation would just kind of get up and leave. And they'd say, well, our pastor's not here, so whatever. Uh, and uh, I actually had one, this is a true story. I was, I was preparing one Wednesday afternoon at my house, but my phone number was on as an assistant pastor, the call uh, line of Bible questions or, or whatever. And so somebody called and it came through to my house and, and the, the person on the other line, it was a lady, is, is Pastor John gonna be there tonight? Um, and I said, well, no, but uh, there's someone else gonna be covering for him. And she's like, well, I'm not going, click. That's, that's, that's what she said as I was preparing to teach that night. Very encouraging. Uh, I was like, oh, this is gonna be great, people. Um, I mean, I got stories, like uh, I was teaching in the, this outdoor amphitheater, it's a big church, you know, at that time we probably had, you know, three or 4,000 people uh, in this huge outdoor amphitheater. And uh, I got up there and taught, and then, um, and then uh, at the end, this, this couple came and said, uh, wow, we, we, uh, we, we took our travel trailer, we hooked it up, we live in Maine, and we drove all the way over here just to hear Pastor John. <laughs> and I said, Call before you haul, man, that's all <laughs> I did. I said that, <laughs> which is, um, anyway, they didn't, they didn't do that. So they were very highly disappointed. Now, let me, let me, since I'm on that topic and I'm into rabbit trails, let me, let me just say something about the, uh, the thing about when, when a pastor's gone and, and people, there's maybe not as many people in the church. I've noticed there's people that are very critical of the congregation. Look at that congregation. It's a celebrity pastor. And when he's not there, those guys aren't there. And they, there's you know, not as many people. Well, first of all, Athey Creek doesn't have that big of an issue that way. Now, there are some people that won't be here if they know, well, Pastor West's not gonna be there. So they won't. But in their defense, I've gotta say, just, just, I'm not trying to make excuses for Athey Creekers. But um, one thing that is true, different than a lot of churches, and I can understand why other churches wouldn't understand anything about this, because the teachings are all topical teaching. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of a teaching and topical. But if you go to Athey Creek, we, we've got work to do. Uh, you and I are going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And when I'm not here, a lot of you know, week off. You know, uh, we're not, I'm not gonna miss a Wednesday night, you know, th uh, with Pastor Brett, because he's, he's gone, so I'm gonna be gone. I'm gonna take a vacation, just like Pastor Brett did, you know. Now, you'll note, uh, I, I, it's one of the reasons I don't take vacations very often, because I love doing what I do, and uh, especially Wednesday nights are kind of my favorite, going verse by verse through the Bible. Um, but I also understand a little bit. So just, just, just so you know, I'm not giving you license, so well, if Brett's not here, we're not coming to church, uh, because the guys that do cover for me are outstanding. I love those teachings, and uh, I, I think they do an amazing job. Yes, thank you, and I, I think that's true. 
And it's always good to get into scripture and stuff like that. But I also think we should not be so judgmental. Um, it's funny how some people are judgmental about things like that when they don't know anything about a through the Bible kind of teaching church and the dynamics of that. That's just kind of an interesting thing to think about. Um, but the reason I kind of go on that is it was so fun when I got to move away from where I was raised, uh, where Bible teachers were a dime a dozen. Like, like you know, we, a bunch of us grew up in a church, solid Bible teaching. Uh, we had worship leaders, Bible teachers. Um, but it was so cool to move from Southern Oregon, one of the most churched uh, areas in all the United States in 1996. Um, and I got to move just 270 miles north where it was one of the most unchurched areas in the United States, the Portland area, the greater Portland area. And nobody had heard, ever heard of my church that I was from there. Uh, I got to be the guy that just started talking about the Bible. And, you know, we gathered at the school and just got a little circle of chairs and, and people were hungry for the word. And thank the Lord, they weren't comparing me to Pastor John or, you know, some other pastor. They was like, oh, this guy's teaching the Bible, whatever. Uh, and um, it was kind of cool. I, I loved the anonymity and I loved that we got to just get in the word. So all that to say, sometimes maybe if you're feeling unsuccessful in sharing, you know, in your own home or your own country, as Jesus says here, sometimes you might want a little change of scenery. Talk to some other people and share the gospel. If they're shutting the door on you, um, then you commit them to prayer and you go to a whole nother crowd. So I got to move to Portland and start teaching through the Bible and uh, people, as it turns out, were really hungry for, script, for the scriptures. And that's what's so cool. So all that to say, something for you to think about, but all that um, here, Jesus sends his disciples out all over the place and then Jesus goes to their cities, which is interesting. Note, what is he doing? Back to our text here, it says here uh, in that verse one, he went to preach or to teach and to preach. Some might think that's redundant to say teach and preach, but they're very different. In fact, I'd like to go over this with you since we were talking about that just a little bit, but um, they're different words, different modes that we should be aware of. Um, first of all, he says he went off to teach and preach. Teach first. The word teach is an interesting word. The Greek word there um, is uh, didasko, which is the word uh, that uh, we translate to, to teach but it's, it's more instructional, um, explanation, expounding uh, something, and, and you could jot down expository teaching is kind of that sort of deal. Um, there's a young pastor asked, uh, is, teaching, is this teaching or preaching that you do? And the older pastor trying to sound intelligent said, um, there is teaching and then there is suppository teaching. Uh, but uh, no, it's expository, a little different expository teaching is what we do here at Athey Creek. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, what, what's the deal? Well, teaching is, um, is this word, uh, didasco, and it, it just simply means uh, instruction or expository type teaching. We'll talk a little more about this in a second. But, um, but by the way, not everybody is a Bible teacher. Some people don't have a gift of teaching. They might have a gift, however, of preaching. Now, I noticed that Jesus does both, right? He went teaching and preaching, it says here. I like that he said teaching first. I think that those aren't just arbitrary orders that are given there, teaching and then preaching. Um, the word preach there, the Greek word for preach is the word kerusko, which means uh, to be a herald, to proclaim openly. It's kind of like what you picture, you know, um, when somebody goes out into public and starts preaching to all people for everybody to hear the good news of the gospel. Um, preaching is more of a declaration uh, publicly of, of the gospel, um, the gospel message. And so there is a, a difference 
between that. So teaching or preaching. Uh, by the way, most churches do um, uh, one of three kind of modes um, or maybe a combination of these modes. Um, the first one is the one I've already talked about, expository preaching. The word exposition is related to the word to expose. Uh, that is so expository preacher's goal or teacher's goal is to simply expose the meaning. Here's what the Bible says and here's what we uh, uh, can learn from that. And, and, and usually expository teaching is verse by verse right through the Bible. Um, and it's, it's the, the topic is the Bible, uh, expository preaching. Then there's um, number two, the next mode you'll see in churches is topical preaching. And I'd say most churches do this, especially if we're talking about a Sunday morning. And uh, topical preaching is uh, to prepare a topical sermon uh, and the preacher starts with a topic and then finds a passage in the Bible that addresses that topic or a series of verses that sort of support the topic at hand. Um, uh, so none of the passages are necessarily studied in depth. Um, instead, the topic itself is studied in depth and using scripture to sort of explain what the Bible has to say about that topic. Um, and that's not a bad thing to do. I just have to say that. Did you know that I do topical teaching? You do, Brett, oh, that's horrible. Are you going to heaven still? No, um, keep in mind, topical, there's some really good topical teaching and preaching out there. Um, that's, it's a good thing. Um, I just am partial toward expository teaching and through the Bible, I wish more churches would do it. I really do. I think they're missing uh, some of the, the depth and the, and the growth that can happen in their congregations because they're not doing the verse by verse uh, thing. But Good, there's good churches that do topical preaching uh, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. I do that when I do like say an ironworks study. When we do ironworks uh, with the men, which we're doing this weekend, by the way, um, I usually am talking about a topic uh, and I usually use a scattering of scriptures to say uh, we support that. Now, one of the dangers of uh, you know, topical preaching is you can use scriptures out of context. That's something you have to really watch out for as a listener is because uh, preachers, you can almost teach anything you want uh, if you use a scripture out of context. Uh, so that's, that's a danger, I think, of topical teaching. Expositional preaching is, is like a safety net because you can't teach wacko stuff because you're reading the whole context of everything. And that's what Athey Creek does. Um, you say, well, Brett, you topically teach on Sunday. Well, that's not exactly right. You might call what I do on Sunday, and not to be too fancy here, but there's a, a, what we would call textual sermon. That is, it's not just a topic picked out of the blue, but it's, it's going through the Bible, but then doing a sermon on the text before us. And that's what we do uh, on Sundays and Saturday nights is we take a text from our upcoming expository preaching and we teach a, a text, textual sermon. That's, in a textual sermon, the, the preacher uses a text as a springboard for discussing a particular point or even topic uh, and what have you. So all that say, um, in both topical and textual sermons, the Bible passage is sort of used to support the material for the topic itself that's at hand. In expository uh, sermons, the Bible passage is the topic. And that's what we're doing here. All right, what's our topic tonight? Matthew chapter 11. Um, that is our topic. And, um, and we use support materials and uh, whatever we can to help bring clarity and understanding. Uh, that's what expositional uh, teaching is. Now, all that said, sometimes we use kind of a combination of the two uh, or a mixing of the three even. Um, and you'll notice um, uh, on this teaching, these are all kind of uh, teaching and preaching topics, but preaching is often associated with the gospel message itself. 
And I just wanna say, uh, one of the goals here at Atheist on a Sunday, even if I'm doing a textual sermon, um, one of the things we always try to weave into our Sunday or Saturday uh, services is the gospel message. And that's where I am, a preacher, that's what I do. I preach the gospel. I think that sometimes, ex, 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 uh, you know, verse by verse, expository preaching can almost leave out the gospel if you're not careful. But you, you have a bunch of great Bible students who know the scriptures, but you don't have a lot of place for the new believer to, or the unbeliever to come in and actually hear what is the gospel. It's, it, and I believe it's easy, if you're teaching verse by verse through the Bible, it's easy to, to weave Jesus and the gospel message into any through the Bible teaching. Because lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, that's Jesus. Um, so all that, I don't mean to get into the depths of what I do or what pastors do, but um, it might help you to identify what certain churches do and why they do it the way they do it. And some of it might have to do with calling or gifting uh, or uh, what the Lord is really wanting from any uh, specific church. I just, if, I, if I'm gonna give you my opinion, I think that too many churches, uh, for whatever reason, are afraid of um, expository teaching verse by verse through the Bible. And they shouldn't be. It's so much of a blast. And I've, I've, I think we're living in a day where we need that more than, than ever. Uh, verse by verse teaching, because there's so much ignorance about the Bible and uh, people are teaching wacko stuff right now. So we need through the Bible teachers. Uh, some of you young men should think about, do, should I go out and start a Bible teaching verse by verse church? I, I hope that people come from this church and go to all over the, the globe. There's so many cities in America that would love right now to have a verse by verse teaching. You know, I, I think we're seeing that um, just with our watch parties. We're having all these watch parties pop up everywhere uh, in these towns all over the country because a lot of churches don't have that uh, through the Bible teaching. So there's a hunger for that. Well, then, so that's kind of what's going on here in verse one. It sort of gives us the situation, but then we sort of change gears into back to the narrative of the story here in Matthew chapter 11. So the shifting of gears, verse two, it says, now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Now, who are we talking about? We're talking about J the B, John the Baptist. Uh, we learned, if, if you remember back in Matthew chapter four, we just kind of breezed through a verse, Matthew four twelve, where it said that John the Baptist went to prison. Um, but that's all it really tells us. Um, Luke uh, tells us a little more about why, and we'll get into that, why he was thrown in prison. Um, but it was basically because he was super bold and he wasn't afraid of anybody. And uh, John the Baptist preached in the wilderness uh, things that made the powers that be very uncomfortable and very mad but he was a bold man. We'll see that in a second. But um, so he's been in prison for a while now since Matthew chapter four, part of the story. And we're all the way in Matthew chapter 11. So he's been in, he's been, uh, in the clink uh, for, for a long time. And we also know that John the Baptist probably heard word of what was going on with Jesus, uh, um, you know, and stuff like that. And by the way, John the Baptist, what a story. What an amazing guy. And this is a major part of chapter 11 as we're talking about John the Baptist. You know, um, we hear about him responding to Jesus even before he was born from his mother's womb. Um, if you recall, Luke chapter one, verse 41, says when it came to pass, it came to pass when Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, prenatal influence, uh, you know, right here where uh, we know that a baby is responsive. 
When Debbie and I were, uh, you know, young parents, uh, one of our, um, uh, you know, doctors, our pediatrician, you know, told us that when you're pregnant, out to here, um, you can interact with your baby. And we're like, how can you do that? And, and they said, with a flashlight. And so, so we would take a flashlight on Debbie's tummy and we'd kind of move it around and you could feel the little hand touching and moving. And it was like totally interacting with your child before they're born, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, and I remember um, you know, thinking, how could anyone even think abortion's okay for half a second? Um, it's an amazing thing to me that our world is making this argument. Um, by the way, did you see there's, um, there were three Jewish women that made national news arguing that um, um, the anti-abortion laws or, or you know, overturning Roe versus Wade makes them not have freedom of religion because they believe it's their religious right to have an abortion. And these are women that are citing Jewish law um, like that really works. Talk about taking something out of context. Um, that's them. Uh, but, um, but our world is, is so wacko on that. But one of those arguments that we have in the Bible among many of why abortion's evil and wrong is because John the Baptist was formed in his mother's womb and, and that's something the Lord does. Even before you know, uh, we know the person, the Lord has already ordained that person and, and pulled that person uh, and putting that person together in the mother's womb. It's a life, it's not a blob of fetal tissue. Um, but, uh, but John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb at the mention of Jesus. Then he's born, grows up, becomes a wild man in the wilderness. Uh, wild hair, wild clothes, wild food. Um, you know, I can just picture a few bugs legs twitching in between his teeth as he had just had a few grasshoppers for lunch and some wild honey and wearing camel skin. Like this guy would have been a wild and crazy looking dude out in the wilderness um, and yet the Lord used him. So he's preaching uh, there in the wilderness and then he preaches of Jesus uh, and then baptizes Jesus and declares he's the messenger that would point out, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's John the Baptist. And then once Jesus really starts his ministry, right after that, John the Baptist goes to prison. Um, uh, and, um, and so now John the Baptist from prison sends a couple of his disciples to go and see what's the deal um, with, uh, with Jesus. In fact, he sort of gives them a question to ask Jesus. And, and this is an interesting question. And we see that in, uh, in verse three. Um, so the John the Baptist, two of his disciples came and said unto Jesus, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again, those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he whoever shall not be offended in me. Now you say, Brett, that seems almost a little prickly for Jesus to answer John the Baptist's disciples like that. Why does he say, Yes, I am he, and give John a hug, the poor guy's in prison, and you know, give him a blue ribbon for trying or whatever. Like, why, why, did, why did Jesus sort of act a little bit like, uh, just tell him this? Um, you know, uh, the, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf ear, the dead are raised up, and the poor, they've got the gospel preached to them. Well, um, John's question, if you ask me, is a logical question. Um, and he has every reason to believe, John the Baptist, like all these disciples struggled, he has every reason to believe that if Jesus is the Messiah, um, he should have assumed his power and throne by this time. 
Like, why isn't Jesus taking control? So you kind of wonder if John the Baptist is thinking, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of going around in poverty and you got a few bumbling disciples that are following you around, but you know, I had more uh, likes than you did on Instagram, Jesus. Uh, like in some ways, Jesus, John the Baptist was kind of more effective in some ways. Uh, John the Baptist's fame went throughout the land. Now Jesus is on the scene and John the Baptist is kind of like, uh, um, are you the one or, or should we like look for another? Um, and um, so he's definitely puzzled that the Lord is moving so seemingly slowly toward the throne. Um, but uh, the, the big debate is, uh, was John the Baptist doubting uh, that Jesus was the Messiah? He, he said at one time with total confidence, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So we know he was good to go at some point. But why now is he sort of saying, are, are you the one or is there, should be, is there another that we should look to? Now, um, there are Bible uh, you know, uh, theologians that valiantly try to express that John the Baptist was not lacking in faith at all, not doubting. He's just making sure that his disciples meet Jesus. So he's sending them with a, a question to sort of help them. And you can make that argument, but to me, that's a little bit of a stretch. I think if you just read the Bible as it kind of sits, it sort of seems like John the Baptist has been sitting in a prison. That's gotta be a bit depressing. And just like you and just like me, um, we would sit there and, and there's times where we go through doubt. And even though we know coming up in the scriptures, John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born among women at this time, we, we also have to understand he was, he was also a man who probably struggled. So sitting in prison, it would make you wonder, uh, Jesus, when are you gonna take the throne? When am I getting out of here? When do I get the presidential pardon You know, out of prison? And uh, what's going on here? Like you do kind of sense that John's going through a, a little bit of a trial in his faith, possibly. So you'll, you'll have arguments either way. One, one group will say, oh no, he's just valiantly you know, pointing his disciples to Jesus and they'll, they'll kind of explain that. Um, but, but the thing that I like about this is when you and I find ourselves in times of doubt, and it's often when we're alone. You know, here's John the Baptist alone in prison and now he's kind of wondering. And there's something about being together with people kind of helps bolster your faith. Here's Jay the B stuck in prison um, and he finds himself perhaps doubting. And, and, and there's a couple things I see. First of all, there's value in us fellowshipping with each other and, and encouraging one another and edifying one another and building each other up in faith. Because the Lone Ranger Christian, that's a tough road to hoe, being alone. Now this was out of John the Baptist's control. He was stuck in a prison cell. But uh, it was during that time where he's kind of at a low and it seems that he's wondering, is, is, are you the one, Jesus? Um, and so alone, you can find yourself questioning and, and even second guessing. Do you, do you ever second guess your decisions uh, that you make? Uh, is, is John the Baptist sort of second guessing? Ooh, did I, did I make a mistake, speak too soon? You know, you wonder about that. By the way, I was, I was reading a story about uh, uh, second guessing, a physics professor, uh, you know, Sir Kent Grant. Uh, he was at um, uh, the Adelaide University in Australia. But he was, he was a, kind of a famous, you know, like physics professor. But he, uh, he liked to demonstrate in the classroom, you know, uh, uh, free falling body uh, and gravity and all this stuff. And he demonstrate, he had this big demonstration where he dropped this big steel like shot put, like a big heavy ball. And he would drop it into a box that had sand in it. And the, the, the shot put would thunk, go into the sand. And he did this every year. Well, as, as the students start, were onto him, they, he was famous for dropping the big heavy ball in his classroom in that big lecture hall in Australia. So um, the students thought it'd be funny when he wasn't looking to sort of move the sandbox that he had perfectly measured out, you know, with the 
heavy ball ready to drop. They just moved it a couple feet to the one side and they thought it'd be funny. And sure enough, wham, the ball smashed through the floor of the, of the lecture hall and the kids thought that was really funny. Well, this actually happened year after year and, and the professor finally is like, I'm, this is ridiculous. And so what he did is he marked a chalk mark around the sandbox to make sure if somebody moved it, then he would be able to tell. Well, when he wasn't looking, this is what the students did. They moved the sandbox and then drew a uh, chalk square around it and then moved it back where it was supposed to be <laughs> and erased the, the, his chalk line. So the professor thinks he's outsmarting and he, he says, oh, these kids are, think they got me this time. And so he quickly moved the box and dropped the ball and it smashed through the floor again. <laughs> um, that, that's us, you know, we, we second guess. We think we know and, we're, and there's times we're certain we know what's going on, but then, you know, somebody does something, you kind of go, or somebody says something about Jesus or faith and you kind of find yourself second guessing, is this really true? Is, am I really saved? Am I, am I truly a Christian? Do I have enough faith or whatever we tend to ask ourselves? And the answer is still the same. It's just that oftentimes we get uh, to where we second guess ourselves. And I, I feel like that's kind of where John the Baptist is. And I, I don't know, for me, I find comfort. If John the Baptist wrestled with that, then uh, we do too. And it's, it's not, shouldn't be surprising. So um, all that to say, um, you know, John the Baptist not only said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, but he also saw the sky open when he baptized Jesus and God booming from heaven saying, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. So like John the Baptist had some good evidence that Jesus was the one. But even with that, he seems to be sort of doubting. Um, by the way, uh, I wonder if, if the, there's a theme of that. Think about all the people in the Bible who were called by God and yet doubted. You know, one of the funniest stories in the Bible, if you really kind of do the math, is Gideon. Because Gideon's, like we talked about a few weeks ago, he's in a pit hiding away because he was a big chicken, hiding from the Midianites, threshing his wheat in a pit. Um, and then the Lord says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, you're talking to me? I'm, I'm not, you get the wrong guy here. You don't even understand. I come from a family that's not a family of valor. And the Lord said, nope, you're the guy. And he says, here's what I want you to do. And, and Gideon says, well, I need proof that you're really gonna do this. And so the Lord says, okay, good. So Gideon, if, if you read the whole story, there's, a, there's issue after issue. We always, you know, you learned the story in Sunday school that he did a, a little fleece and a test to see if God was really in it. That wasn't the only thing. Like we got all kinds of stuff. One thing is he made a meal and put it on a rock and, and said, okay, God, if you're really here, and sure enough, fire came down from heaven and it consumed the meal that he had made for God. That's a pretty good, like maybe the Lord's on my side. And there's a whole nother thing where the people were whispering in the camp and a big roll of, like, like there's, there's, there's some amazing stories where Gideon had time after time. The, the fleece thing was two times because he did once where the fleece was dry, one, once where the fleece was wet, if you remember, but those were two more times. So, but by this, by the time of the fleece, that, this is like the sixth time God's like, I'm with you. Yeah, but Lord, just this time, I really need to know that you're with you. So we're gonna do the fleece thing a second. Like, like, the story of Gideon is the demonstration of a guy who actually did not have faith, but God still used him and God still worked through him and God still gave him great victory. Um, I love that because he was a man who was kind of messed up in that area. 
I wonder if Paul felt that when he you know, went in boldly into those cities preaching to the, you know, because he wanted to preach to the Jews. Um, and then they ran him out of town. You remember that night where they said, Paul, you gotta get out of this town. Everybody wants to kill you. So they stuck him in a basket and they lowered him over the city wall. And I always wonder as he's lowering over the big city wall, you know, in a basket, Like, I wonder if he sat in that basket going, Lord, am I even really called to ministry? I really feel like I'm a failure. Like, like um, you know, we've all been there in our lives and, and I've been there in ministry, Lord, it really? And, and you just kind of wonder about this sort of discouragement in ministry. But if it happened to these guys, uh, it also happens to us. So don't be surprised when you're discouraged. Um, uh, so how do you fix that problem, you know? Um, uh, the answer is, you know, your faith can come by hearing and you're hearing by the word of God. So don't second guess, uh, keep your eyes on the Lord. And even when you feel like the Lord's not with you, he still is. That's just a good reminder. And that's poor Jay the Bee. He's stuck in prison wondering right now. Um, but um, you, you say, but Brett, that, 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 you know, that answer, um, it, it could have been just a simple yes or no. Yes, I am the one. Why did Jesus uh, sort of talk in this language? The answer, pastoral code. Jesus is giving John the Baptist a code of who he really is. Um, how, how do you know that? Well, because you know what Jesus is doing is he's sort of quoting from the Old Testament. Um, that's something you should know. You might miss that. But if you look in your margin next to the red letters in verses four and five, usually your margin will refer Isaiah 35 uh, verses four and five. Um, or four through six, really. Um, what does that say? Well, it sounds very, very familiar. Um, a good Old Testament scholar like J the B would recognize this language. Um, Isaiah the prophet, foretelling the future of the Messiah, say to them that are fearful heart, be strong uh, and fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Um, this is Isaiah saying, here's what's gonna happen when the Lord, the Messiah comes. And Jesus said, tell John, you know, the eyes of the blind have been opened, the ears of the deaf. Like this, this would resonate to a guy like John saying, Jesus is basically saying, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah 35 uh, verse five. So that's kind of important. You say, okay, Brett, so uh, John the Baptist sort of gets this message, which means Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah. Um, and that's why um, I love that Jesus gives John the Baptist scripture, because when I told you when you're doubting and feeling like you're lacking faith, um, you need to you have your faith restored. And, and, and this is where Romans 10, 17 comes in. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Jesus gives, if you would, John the Baptist, who's lacking faith, a scripture. Good tactic, Jesus always does the right thing. And maybe that's something you should do. When somebody comes and lacks faith that you're trying to help and encourage, um, one of the best encouragements you can do is point them back to scripture because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, all that to say, um, notice um, in verse six, it says, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Why would Jesus tack that on to the end of this answer to John the Baptist? Um, the answer might just be um, that Jesus was trying to sort of um, stop the uh, be people being offended by what? His methods? 
or even his message or his timing of when he's gonna become the king of kings. See, you and I have the advantage. We know that Jesus would come in two comings, the first coming and the second coming. These guys didn't know that. John the Baptist likely didn't know that Jesus was gonna come in two comings, the first advent, the second advent. Um, and, um, and so he's still kind of wondering, well, when are you gonna do the stuff and become the king and, and all this? And Jesus is not going to become the king. He's gonna be uh, raised on the cross and crucified for the sins of the world. And so um, Jesus is sort of saying, don't be offended in you know, my method or my timing or my purpose or my plan. Um, this, is, this is kind of the, the deal. And that's something that you could be careful about too. Some of you might uh, question, and uh, you might say, Lord, it's not really what I pictured happening in my life. I wonder if John the Baptist is sitting there in prison. This isn't really what I pictured, Lord. I pictured you riding out on a white stallion and sitting on the throne in Jerusalem and, and taking over the Romans or whatever John the Baptist thought, and I'll be standing right by your right hand. Like, what did John the Baptist think? We don't know. But most of the disciples kind of pictured that. Um, and even on Palm Sunday, you get the sense that all the people, when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, oh, this is it. He's gonna become the king now and he's gonna rule and wipe out the Romans and that wasn't the plan then either. So what happens in your life when you're sitting there going, Lord, this isn't really what I plan. I pictured in my plan for you know, what, what I had you do. I'm still single. Uh, I'm still you know, uh, trying to figure out what I'm doing for a career. Um, Lord, I, I didn't really picture uh, you know, my family uh, hating me so much. This wasn't in the plan. Like, like the, what's happening in your life, oftentimes we can make the mistake of trying to say, Lord, I don't like what your plan is for my life. I don't like this. Um, but we have to be careful. Don't be offended in Christ. That's kind of what he's saying. And, and again, that's a true statement, but you have to admit poor John the Baptist could have just, he could have said, say, uh, say you know, give, give him a sort of a, a, a word of encouragement or something. But what's even more shocking, Jesus does say something really encouraging about John, but not to the disciples that went and told John. And that's where we keep reading uh, in verse seven. As the disciples, they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, what went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? Now this first uh, verse that we're reading here, when Jesus is talking, now that J the B's disciples are on the way back to talk to John, he says, who did you guys go see? Just a reed shaking in the wind? And this is one of those ridiculous rhetorical questions. Like the ridiculous answer is, of course not. Who did they go see out there? The opposite. Um, he was the wind that shook the reed, John the Baptist was. He wasn't a little twig shaking, going, oh, the wind's, you know, and, oh, that wasn't John the Baptist. Jesus is being facetious, if you would, sort of in his rhetorical question. And the answer is no, uh, that's not what they went out to see. And I love this because Jesus is basically saying, no, John the Baptist was a force to be reckoned with um, as, as a preacher. And by the way, we need preachers today that aren't shaken by the wind. Um, we need ministers who aren't just going with every wind of doctrine um, you know, today. There's so many crazy uh, teachings that are going on today and, and no, no wonder the church is sort of lost and why people are bailing out of the church. I think there's a, one of the reasons people bail out of churches is they've got this shocking sense that what they're hearing is a bunch of hogwash. And it's because some of the teaching they're doing is hogwash. It gets crazy. And, and I think it's no better revealed than these last few years with COVID, 
Black Lives Matter, LGBTQIA+, uh, ABCDQFG, uh, whatever. Um, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and a lot of pastors, I just don't wanna offend people. And I don't, you are a, a reed being shaken by the wind, my friend. And it's time to be the wind shaking the reeds. That, that was John the Baptist. He was definitely not afraid out there uh, to offend. And we'll see that in Luke when he starts coming down on Herod and all that stuff. It's kind of an amazing thing. But, you know, it's like these pastors are so soft. I just want to say what we're for, not about what we're against. No, Jesus talked a lot about what he was against. And that's, that's what we should be talking about too. Um, by the way, Ephesians 4, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 4, 14 through 15. He said um, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried away uh, about with every wind of doctrine. But um, he says, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, uh, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love uh, may grow up in him in all things, which is the head of uh, even Christ. Um, this is what we need is people to speak the truth powerfully, not shaken, but also in love. That's the hard part. Sometimes it's hard not to be loving when you're kind of trying to put down crazy stuff that's, that's against the scriptures. But we still need to have everything encompassed in love, encompassed in love, um, but not be shaken and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Um, there's parts of the church that are falling away. Now, um, if you don't believe me, um, it's, it's on every level. And there's crazy level winds of doctrine that people are accepting today. I can't even believe people believe it. But that's not the big problem. Let me, let me give you an example of a crazy, um, here's a Methodist pastor uh, uh, this is, take a listen to this. Um, this is a drag queen uh, in a Methodist church uh, with an ordained pastor talking to him in front of two little girls. Do either of you have any questions for Miss Pentecost? I like her eyeshadow. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you like her eyeshadow. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she'll let you borrow it when you're older, like when you're allowed to wear makeup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, one of the things I think is great about Miss Pentecost is she reminds us that we, we follow a God who calls us to not conform to things of this world, uh, that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And that means that what I think today may have to change tomorrow if I continue to renew my mind. And it's so cool that we serve a God that calls us to continue to grow and continue to, to change into something new. Uh, and to not be bound by the ways that the world confines us sometimes, that, that we're supposed to live differently. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, now, now here's, the, here's my concern. If there's anybody that believes what that guy's saying, I, I, there's nothing I can do for you. You are an idiot. I'm sorry. Like I, oh, wait, wait, I gotta say this in love. How do I say this? Um, um, <laughs> no, I gotta say this in love. Um, but, but here's the problem. Um, if, if there are people like this Methodist church uh, that goes for this, how, you know, like the thing that really caused it, how many other more subtle doctrines are being tweaked today by all the rest of the pastors? Like if you can pull this off, which people are doing that, then there's so many other little nuancey stuff. And, and so here I am, you know, like I talk about stuff uh, and I, I get a sense from some people, Brent, why are you so hung up on that issue? Like, it's not even a big deal. Well, well, this is a big deal, but, but you know what? I count, there's a lot of stuff that's a big deal. Like being drunk with wine, that's a big deal. Bible says, be not drunk with wine. 
Um, now you can drink alcohol, wine with your dinner, of course, but everybody's arguing, yeah, we can drink alcohol. So bottoms up and churches and pastors are doing their mixed drinks and talking about stuff. See, I'm talking about small little things about, well, the Bible says this and people kind of look at me like, I'm, I'm the legalistic sort of weirdo that's into doctrine. But I gotta say, we need churches to get back to solid doctrine. And if you got teaching like this, we're in huge trouble. Um, that's why, you know, it's funny, people don't wanna hear, he's actually using the scripture to be exactly the opposite of what it actually means. And that's what happens. That's the way these guys roll. And it's happening not just in these crazy drag queen things, in more subtle things that a lot of people, and, and I, I, I fear that some of you might be easily duped by some of the doctrinal things that are just a little more subtle. I hope not. I hope that you stick to scripture. And we gotta do, every time you listen to Bible teaching, whether it's me, or this guy or whoever, you gotta search the scriptures daily and see if these things are true or false. Uh, Acts 17, 11, be like the Bereans. Um, that's what's not happening in our world today. And there's, there's churches locally here that the people go, oh, I love our pastor and he's, he's so current and, he's, and he cares about this and he cares about that. He's compassionate and woke and all this stuff. And, and there's some people that just love that. The problem is he's teaching a false doctrine, false teaching, and it's happening badly. So I love that Jesus is, is saying sort of almost shockingly, he's like, are you kidding? Did you go out to see John the Baptist like, a, like he was some kind of weed being, a reed being shaken by the wind? The answer is no. Uh, if you would, Jesus is saying John the Baptist was the hammer, uh, not the nail in that situation. Um, and I love that about that. So he also says in verse eight, he says, um, but when you went out for, this, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft clothing or raiment? Um, behold, uh, they that wear soft clothing are kings are in kings' houses. In other words, um, John the Baptist wasn't some soft little you know pedicured king that was sitting around uh, eating sumptuously and fanciful thing. No, he was a kind of a rough dude wearing skins, animal skins, and eating bugs. I like I love John the Baptist for just kind of he wasn't your typical guy. And Jesus is saying this was my man. This is the guy I called to be the messenger. And it goes on, check it out. He goes on and says um, in verse nine, but what went you out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Um, um, when Jesus says, as it is written, he's referring to the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, He's using scripture to say, this is who John the Baptist is. And, he, and then he, he quotes scripture saying, behold, I send my messenger. Well, why didn't Jesus give the scripture reference? The answer, they didn't have scripture references back then. They assumed that you read it and you kind of had it halfway memorized. And so you could kind of go, oh, that was Malachi. Uh, somewhere in Malachi, you know, and you get out your scroll. <laughs> and you'd look through all the Hebrew words trying to find the scripture. I'm thankful for the reference, but in your margin, again, your margin probably marks that. When Jesus says, it, uh, it is written, Malachi chapter three, verse two. We, we were, uh, verse one, I should say, uh, uh, he, he, um, we were there just a few months ago in Malachi, let's review. And we were talking about John the Baptist back when we were in the book of Malachi. It says there, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me uh, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So the messenger uh, is greater than just a prophet. He's the messenger from the Lord. 
Um, and uh, this, is, this is what John the Baptist was. Now, the, why, not, why not say this to John's disciples? Come on, Jesus. Tell John, you know, you're the messenger of Malachi chapter three, verse one. Um, why didn't Jesus just give him a pat on the job? The answer, don't know. Maybe Jesus knew that John shouldn't hear that yet. Um, I don't know why. Maybe he didn't wanna feed John's ego. Maybe that could have been dangerous. Um, perhaps Jesus was more concerned about John's theology being correct about who Jesus really was than him feeling peppy about himself and feeling affirmed. Just kind of a heads up on that. Um, and I like that John the Baptist, he, he actually has a fairly honest self-awareness of who he is and who he isn't. But it's kind of an interesting discussion. Who is really John the Baptist? Um, you know, it's interesting um, because, um, you know, when, when, when you uh, understand who you are in Christ, then we'll know it's all good. The Lord loves us, has a plan for us and a purpose for us. Uh, but we don't always know that. The Lord doesn't always give us those details. I think that the Lord's affirmations may or may not come based on how you think about yourself and self-awareness. It's like the American Idol contestant that thinks they know how to sing. And they get up on the stage and they croak out a sound and everybody's like, ah! but nobody told them, you are not a singer. Somebody, some of their loved friends should have come and put their arm around and said, bro, you are not a singer, please. Do not go on American Idol. But I'm a singer, that's what I do. No, no, you're, no, you're not. In the same way, I wonder if it, God sort of hands out that. And it's gonna, it's, he's gonna reward you. Uh, remember Matthew 25, 23, his Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. There's coming a day where the Lord will affirm when you need to hear it and when, when it's appropriate. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we live by faith. We don't always get the affirmations and the pats on the back. We live by faith, trusting in the Lord. So um, kind of an important thing to remember. Now, um, it goes on there in verse 11, verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. This is a, what a statement that is. Jesus says, of all people born among women, J the B, there's no one greater. Um, notwithstanding, middle part of verse 11, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Huh? How could that be? How could the least in the kingdom be greater than John the Baptist? And, and the answer is kind of an interesting one, um, but you kind of have to think through it a little bit. Uh, if you ask the question, how can the people of the kingdom be greater than John? And you also have to ask, who are the people of the kingdom? And there's debate on this. Some people say, once the kingdom of God is established, Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem, the people of that kingdom will be greater than John the Baptist. There's an argument for that. But most scholars believe when Jesus talked about how the kingdom of God is among you and Jesus is the king, so wherever Jesus is, that's part of the kingdom. So it's not the fully established millennial kingdom we talk about, but Jesus being the king, he is the kingdom. So some say it's when Jesus died on the cross, um, ascended, left the Holy Spirit for the church, and, and then it was like Paul said, Christ in you. It's like the kingdom of God, now Jesus is ruling through his church as in some way, um, and I'm not a dominion now or kingdom theology person because I don't think that's biblically sound doctrine. 
but I do believe that Jesus is the king and he, he resides in our lives. So the answer to how can these people that Jesus is referring to, the people of the kingdom, be greater than John the Baptist? The answer is when the Lord Jesus came, uh, he began calling out a group of people, disciples, and they would become greater than John the Baptist in this sense because they had Christ in them and they'd be robed in his righteousness. That's what made them greater because Christ was in them. Um, it's because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I believe that could be the answer when, when Jesus is saying, nevertheless, there's coming people who are of the kingdom that are gonna be greater than John the Baptist. That's what verse 11 is talking about. And then verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and violent, the violent take it by force. Ha, boy, we could spend a whole evening on this one. Um, the language on this one is very debatable and some of your translations sound very different than the one I just read out of the King Jimmy. Um, well, which one is right? Um, there's two ways people interpret this uh, whole thing about, um, it says, you know, from the days of John the Baptist to now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. The two ways you can take this is number one, in a negative sort of way, that the work of Christ and his disciples is ta uh, taking hits from evil men who wanna violently go against it, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And you could make that argument, I've been, and people way smarter than me make that argument. But there's a whole other group that say, no, the disciples, it's actually a positive. This is a positive statement. And Jesus is saying the disciples are gonna go out with great force and take the kingdom of heaven with aggression and boldness. The, the violence is kind of a word there. Um, and it depends on which commentators you read. And some taters are more common than others uh, when you read them. I like what J. Vernon McGee said on this. J. Vernon in his Through the Bible commentary, he said, um, he, said he may have been referring to both. Like Jesus could be saying violence, it's, it's a war between the, the negative and the positive. And maybe it's both. And I like that. Um, uh, and by the way, the gospel is being attacked violently today by force. There's people that are very much against the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' day, it was the Pharisees and Sadducees who wanted to violently take it. Um, but, uh, you know, forcefully people, uh, you know, um, you, you might say, well, what does that have to do with us being violent and taking you know, the gospel out there and violently pulling? Well, the answer is kind of like uh, the Bible language often employs violent language in some ways. And I say violent, um, the Colossians 3.23, you know, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Proverbs 28, verse one, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Lions are violent. So what does that mean for us to be as bold as a lion? It's a good force to sort of advance the gospel. And that's what some of these guys are arguing. Um, so either way, uh, I think both might be true. You can do this deeper, deeper study and come to your own conclusion, I suppose, on that one. Um, but then, then it gets even more kind of cryptic. These are some of the more difficult things to understand that Jesus is talking about. Um, but this really gets the cake for a lot of people. They're like, what is Jesus talking about? He says in verse 13, he says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, as the King James puts it, or it's just the Greek New Testament way of saying Elijah. Don't be freaked out when you see Old Testament names sort of worded or spelled differently in the New Testament. It's not a big deal. It's just centuries, millennia even, of changes of languages and translations and stuff like that. It's a little like when we say Jesus, 
Um, they would not have said Jesus, they would have said Yeshua. Uh, and so like everybody gets all up in a tizzy. Uh, we shouldn't, don't worry about it. It's whatever language you speak, speak it. Uh, and that's kind of what's going on here. So, but we're referring to Elijah, verse 14. If you receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, if you really can receive this. So there's already a couple red flags here. Um, he says, if, if you will receive it, which is some people won't receive this, Jesus is saying, but you should. But he says, if you'll receive it, this is Elijah, which was sworn to come. And then he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, this is gonna be hard for you to take in and understand. Now, you and I can figure this out, not because we're smart, but because the Bible, there's other passages we can compare and learn from what's going on here. Um, so, so the verse 13 tells us something that I think is important. He says that John the Baptist was the end or the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no, when I say there's no prophets like the Old Testament in the New Testament day or in the church age, but Brett, I went to a church and prophet so-and-so came and spoke at our church. Um, well, it depends on what he's calling himself. If he's making himself like an Old Testament prophet, he's wrong. But if he's claiming that he's relying on the Holy Spirit to give a word of prophecy through him, well, that could be okay. And, and we would say that's right, but it's not, there's no more Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist was the end of that. That's an important thing to know. Um, the gift or the, I shouldn't call it the gift, but the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that is prophecy is in the New Testament different. You're not foretelling the future. You're foretelling the word of the Lord. Uh, um, read 1 Corinthians 14. Um, it says that he who prophesies gives a word of edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's what prophecy in the New Testament is. And so, but the problem with somebody saying, I am a prophet of the Lord today, the problem that I have with that is, so am I. And so are you guys. If you're a Christian and you are a believer in Christ, you can be used by the Lord to be a prophet in the sense of the New Testament, where you give a, give a word of encouragement, a word of edification or comfort or exhortation. If, if you give a word like that, it's from the, from the God of all gods, puts it in your brain, it comes out your mouth, and you sense, man, that wasn't really me that said that. That was something that the Lord did. That's where the Lord gave you a, <clears throat> a, a great blessing of prophecy for someone. Um, that's the way it works in New Testament times. So when somebody says, I am a prophet of the Lord, I'm a little, I have a tr problem with that because uh, anybody who's filled with the spirit in the church today can be used as uh, not only a prophet, but also a healer. Lord can give you a gift of healing for someone who's sick. It doesn't make you the, you know, uh, ministries.com. Like that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, there's pastors that do that. Benny Hinn is not a healer. Um, he's a fraud, um, but, um, but people that claim to be, I, am a, I have the gift of healing. Nope, you don't. Uh, God can give you a gift of healing for a person. As you pray with someone and pray for healing, God can do that, uh, but you're not the healer. Um, you might be given a gift. We'll get into this in a few weeks when we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when we talk about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The nuances, you might say, Brett, whatever, tomato, tomato, no, they matter because there's people that come along, I'm prophet of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And then they say something about the future, like an Old Testament prophet, and then they're always wrong. And then people wonder, oh, the people of Christians aren't even really true. And it's just such a sad sort of thing that happens all the time.
Um, so all that to say, uh, John the Baptist, he's the end of the Old Testament prophets, but if you have ears to hear, and, if you, and Jesus says, if you receive this, guess what? John the Baptist was Elijah. You say, Fred, that's where he loses me. Um, you know, um, well, um, and by the way, just, just for, if you're, for you note takers, this is that scripture talking about what a word of prophecy in the New Testament is. It's 1 Corinthians 14, three. If you prophesy, you speak unto men edification, exhortation, and comfort. Um, but now with this whole, this whole thing about, you know, Elijah, um, uh, what does the Bible say about this? Well, this again goes to the book of Malachi that is foretelling John the Baptist, but also the prophet Elijah. Um, check this out. In Ma- Malachi chapter four, jot this down in your notes. I usually write it down in my Bible next to these scriptures. So if somebody asks me the question, I can say, okay, turn to Malachi chapter four, verse five and six, because here's where we learn stuff. And there's several scriptures you might wanna write down next to this uh, verse 14 if you're you're gonna explain this to people. Uh, Malachi four says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, this is where it gets confusing. When will this verse be fulfilled? Anybody? Yeah, I hear some of you guys saying it's the second coming of Christ. Um, Because, you know, you might say, well, Jesus said it's Elijah, so it's gotta be right when Jesus was saying this, but not exactly. Um, He says, I'll send you Elijah before the coming in the great great and dreadful day of the Lord. We can check that box with John the Baptist, but verse six, you can't check the box. He'll turn the heart of the fathers of the children, the heart of the children to their fathers. Um, and that's not gonna happen until after Christ returns in the millennial kingdom reign, rule and reign. There's gonna be a coming of John or Elijah before the second coming of Christ. And he's gonna be turning people. So you say, okay, so Elijah will come before the end of the world. Um, yes. Um, but in the Old Testament, they didn't realize that Jesus would be coming in the twofold Coming, like we talked about earlier, born in Bethlehem, riding to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday Road, that was his first coming. Uh, but second coming, conquering king, riding a white horse, uh, fighting on the valley of Armageddon, uh, that's the second coming. So which one is Ma- Malachi talking about here, the first coming or the second coming? Anybody? Yes, both. Good, you guys are all getting this. Um, yeah, it's both. Um, uh, and, and you say, well, Brett, how could it be both? This is kind of an interesting thing the Bible does. It's the ripple effect. It's like dual fulfillment of prophecy. And it happens all the time in the scriptures. Um, is John the Baptist technically, actually Elijah? Let's do a little church vote. How many of you guys think John the Baptist is Elijah? Raise your hand. How many of you guys think John the Baptist is not Elijah? Okay, that's interesting. So most of you guys, uh, the second there. Most, um, let's take a look and see what the Bible says. Would you turn, keep your finger here in Matthew, turn to John chapter one. In verses 19 through 23, we have more of a discussion on this John the Baptist Elijah thing. Um, John chapter one, verse 19. There we read, it says, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and he denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I love that. He's making it clear. I'm not Jesus. Some of you struggle with that. Your friend comes and says, I need help. Can you help me? And you think you're Jesus and you can think you can help them. Uh, No, it's always helpful to remember, I am not Jesus, but I'll point you to Jesus. That's what John the Baptist knew. Verse 21. And they asked him, 
what then, are thou Elijah? And he said, I am not. Now some of you are feeling, ha ha, I raised my hand correctly. Not so fast, tiger. <laughs> he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give the answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So I love John the Baptist. When they asked him, he said, I am not John the Baptist, or Elijah, I should say, kind of interesting. Now flip over to one more scripture. Um, go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. We have another little commentary on this issue. In Matthew 17, starting in verse 10. Keep, keep in mind, this is the same Matthew we were just reading in chapter 11. So this is, you know, several chapters later. But it says in verse 10 of Matthew 17, verse 10. And his disciples asked him saying, why then say the scribes that Elijah must first come? And the answer, you already know, Malachi chapter four, right? That's why the scribes taught that. Verse 11, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly shall come first and restore all things. But I send you that Elijah is already come or come already and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the son of man suffer of them. Verse 13, then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Oh no. <laughs> so we're so confused. Because some of you are like, yeah, I raised my hand, but here they, they, Jesus is making the argument that he is, he is John the Baptist, but John the Baptist, or he is Elijah, but John the Baptist said, I am not Elijah the prophet. So which one is it? Are we more confused now? Well, if you understand what's gonna happen, and, and the biggest confusion here is the first coming and the second coming issue. And the question we have to ask is, will Elijah come and has he come? So the answer is, will Elijah come before the second coming of Jesus? Anybody? That's an easy yes. And if you read Revelation chapter 11, there it is. Um, remember the two witnesses that come? One of those two witnesses, I can say with certainty, we know it's Elijah the prophet. The other one, it could be Moses, it could be Enoch. There's debate and, and we'll talk about that later. But, um, but we know that Elijah's coming during the tribulation period. Remember, the, <clears throat> they're gonna be in Jerusalem and they're gonna speak. And when people try to mess with John, uh, Elijah the prophet, fire's gonna come out of his mouth. He's gonna burn people up. Uh, it's, it's a whole nother thing. Remember the, the thing where they all kill him in the streets, him and the other witness, and they'll let their bodies lay for days in the streets of Jerusalem and they'll be celebrating and it'd be like Christmas. Remember they'll exchange gifts and celebrate, you know, like they do today when people are bombed, they hand out candies and stuff in the streets. Same thing. These two guys, these witnesses will be celebrated as dead lying in the streets and then they'll rise from the dead and start walking around again and say, we're back. Uh, uh, what an amazing story that is. And that's gonna be right before Jesus comes, the second coming of Christ. So if you're not raptured and you're not a Christian and you see these two guys breathing fire from their mouths in uh, Jerusalem, you see it on CNN, um, or if they're still operational at that time, um, uh, then you'll know, oh, that wacko pastor on Wednesday night actually was right. Uh, the Bible was right. Um, and that's when you need to repent and turn to Jesus. Um, because that means Christ is coming, his second coming is pretty soon. But as it turns out, um, in the first coming of Jesus, Elijah showed up at the same time. Uh, and see, the Old Testament 
believers didn't understand the, the two coming. So the idea of two Elijahs at two different times is so confusing. But the, some scholars put it this way, the spirit that was on Elijah is probably the same spirit that was on John the Baptist, which is the same spirit that's gonna be on the witness of Revelation chapter 11. And so in a certain answer, you might say, yes, all of those are John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, all of those are Elijah the prophet. Um, it seems that John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah on him in some way, shape or form. And that's why Jesus said, this is hard for you to understand, but he's saying to his disciples, John the Baptist is pretty much Elijah. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And they're like, oh man, we're, so, we're getting a headache, Lord. We don't understand this. But Jesus is saying, yeah, it's gonna be hard for you to understand that. But that's what's happening. Even John the Baptist didn't even know he was Elijah. Uh, but that doesn't mean he didn't have the spirit of Elijah on him. So um, it's not that the Bible is contradictory here. It's, it, it's fulfilled. Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come when Jesus would come, the Messiah. But what even Malachi, you probably don't even know, um, Malachi would be probably shocked himself to realize that Elijah would come both in his first coming and prepare the way for Jesus, and Elijah would come both in his second coming and prepare the way for Jesus. Both, the spirit of Elijah was involved with that. Well, I've probably belabored that point, sorry, but I find that really interesting. So uh, let's get back to our text here in Matthew chapter 11, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Now he goes on, uh, here in verse, uh, where were we? 16. It says, but whereunto shall I liken this generation? Is it likened to children sitting in their markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and we have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he is a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Uh, okay, I'm gonna just do a shortcut on all this because that's quite a mouthful. What are the children piping and what's all this stuff? Um, basically, they rejected the children playing music, whether it was happy music or sad music, they rejected it. Um, so regardless, they, um, you know, they did the same thing with Jesus. John came sort of piping mourning because he was a voice crying in the wilderness, wearing his camel skins and all that. Jesus came piping joy when he was eating and celebrating and they even accused him of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. But they rejected both, John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, and the point is, you might say, uh, you can't please uh, everyone all the time. They were neither pleased by John the Baptist, they called him a devil, but they also won't please, be pleased by Jesus because they called him a wine-bibber and a glutton. But by the way, he wasn't. Jesus never sinned. So he didn't do those things, but they did uh, accuse him of that. Well, does that make sense? Hopefully uh, that was a quick answer. But verse 20 goes on and says, then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. This word upbraid is a word that he's starting to kind of come against these cities. This is, again, Jesus not just talking about what he was for. He was also talking about what he's gonna be against. And let's see if Jesus's words were warm and fuzzy here. Because uh, that's what some pastors would make you believe, that Jesus only said things that were warm and fuzzy. He says in verse um, 21, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Zidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Do you remember Tyre and Zidon? If we were with us in our Old Testament study, those were two cities that were totally destroyed because of their rebellion. 
Remember we talked about Tyre, how it became a flat Tyre and uh, the Lord did not spare Tyre. Remember that story? If you were with us, we talked about that. And uh, it got wiped out uh, along with Zidon. And, and, and there's two idiomatic sayings of the Old Testament. You never wanna be Tyre and Zidon and you never wanna be what? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Those are the two places because they were judged. And now Jesus is saying, it would be better, verse 21, uh, for them. Uh, check it out. He says, if the works uh, were done in you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, um, man, that were done in Tyre and Zidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But, verse 22, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable. <clears throat> Mark that word, or two words, more tolerable for Tyre and Zidon <clears throat> at that day of judgment than for you. And thou Capernaum, that's the little town where the man with the withered hand was healed. That's the town where Peter's mom lived. That's the town where Jesus cleansed the leopard. Like leper, all these things have happened in Capernaum. And you Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven. Why? Because Jesus was there doing miracles. Um, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable, there it is again, for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Again, warm fuzzy language? No, he basically says, Capernaum, you're going to hell. Um, and he says it brutally. brutally. Uh, the word more tolerable, we'll get into that a little bit later, but verses 23 through 24, the people marveled at Jesus's kind words, but he also said stuff that was rather prickly and pointed you shall be brought down to hell. Uh, I want you to see that. Not that I'm arguing for that. I'm just saying, if you're teaching a balanced approach to the Bible, you're gonna have to talk about both. Uh, I love talking about the grace of God and his mercy and his forgiveness. And you won't understand how wonderful that is until you talk about Capernaum and going down to hell, Sodom and Gomorrah, wrath, judgment, righteousness. You gotta talk about all that stuff. Um, so this idea of more tolerable, those are two English words that are actually given to us. Um, but it's interesting because um, we, we wanna do a little more, um, I'm not sure why I put that there. Um, I'm way off, I think, here. Oh, uh, yeah, these cities, by the way, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, guess what? They sit in ruin today. These, these places are not functioning cities uh, because they're, they, they were destroyed, just like Jesus said. And uh, people just come to look at them and think, why isn't there a city built? Because this is some of the most beautiful land in all of Israel, these towns, but they sit there in total ruin now. I just wanted you to see that. But this idea of being more tolerable, um, the Greek word is an interesting uh, word that we, we, uh, we don't have an English word. That's why we have to say more tolerable, two words. But it's um, anektos, uh, which, which means um, uh, it'd be more bearable or you might even be able to endure. Uh, it's more endurable than, than it would have been for these other cities. Um, so it's a degree of punishment uh, and what have you. Um, and so what about the people you know, around the world that are judged? The Lord's gonna judge people based on what they were given. I believe that. We see that in Luke 12, 48, for example. I like the ESV version here. One who did not know, did, not, uh, did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, to him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. There's kind of this notion in the Bible. If you're given much, you're gonna be required much. The people that saw Jesus do all the miracles in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and, and Capernaum, they were gonna be judged harshly because Jesus was there demonstrating who he was. One of the things we learn from the Bible is people never have faith by miracles. That never really, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Verse 25, quickly, running out of time. It says in verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Um, who are the babes here? Ask that question. He says, even so, Father, uh, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Who are the babes? It, it probably is speaking of the clumsy disciples. They're babies in the faith. And the Lord is gonna use these, um, these disciples. Um, it's almost like the smarter you are, the more careful you need to be. But the Lord uses the weak and the foolish. That's why Proverbs says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Like that, that's something we should watch out for. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God has chosen the foolish things um, uh, in the world uh, to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things in the world to confound the things of the mighty. And that's what he's talking about, how the Lord's revealing this even to the babes. Um, that's, that's probably these disciples. Um, verse, uh, verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of my father and no man knoweth the son but the father Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. You say, what's verse 27 all about? Um, this is another way of saying, um, like we read in John 14, 6, no man comes to the Father but by me. Uh, that's a little more easy way to put it, the way Jesus put it in John 14, 6. Same basic meaning here in verse 27. Uh, if you wanna go to the Father, you gotta go through Christ. And then verses 28 through 30, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we covered that this past weekend. So there you have it, chapter 11. Chapter 12, we'll see what the unpardonable sin is. What does it mean, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? We'll talk about that next week. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for this passage. And I, I pray that it um, would settle in, Lord, just these truths that we've looked at from the scriptures here, Lord. And I pray that it would apply to each one of us according to your plan by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Bless these people with the time they've put in. I pray that uh, as we prayed before, that good things would come of this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.